night. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the News for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Bam. It's your boy, Wallace. And today we have our special guest today, Leah. Leah, how you doing today? Hey, y'all. I'm good. How are y'all? We good. We good. We good. We're so happy I'm to have well. you on today. Thank you. Know? And thanks for joining us, you know. So so tell us, so how's, how you been living during this pandemic? Um, I've been pretty good academically because I'm still in school. The pandemic hasn't changed anything, thankfully, because I've been online for the past year. Um, but work-wise, I got furloughed in March, so I haven't been working since March. Uh, I've just been chilling out a lot. Of, I have a lot of free time, so I've had time to like do things I normally wouldn't do because I was working so much. Um, so it's been up and down with the emotions because you know it's crazy like this is like global and it's just affecting literally even the smallest things you want to do sometimes it's hard to do that so it's been challenging but it's been also relaxing at the same time Uh, what are some ways that you I guess that you just say you're trying to like you know manage it it's been stressful and there's a lot of different emotions that are coming along with it Mm -hmm. how what are some ways that I guess um Trying to like push yourself, you know. I don't, I don't like the idea of you know us constantly stay busy, but I know mm-hmm. sometimes being idle can be you know troubling at times. So, where are some time, where are certain things that you do to make sure that you feed into yourself that you know, even if you are not doing anything, you're just like focusing on yourself and just doing things that is better and bettering your health. Like, where are some things that you know? Um, well, on a daily basis, like I always read like quotes like positive quotes affirmations or I listen to like commentaries that stimulate me mentally um and I just like to also look into like travel I love traveling so like it just excites me to like see different things uh or make plans for hopefully when everything can go back to normal for trips that I want to take and stuff so that's those are probably the top things I would do on a daily basis to make myself feel better if I'm not doing anything besides like schoolwork. I feel you. I feel you. I'm sorry. And again, I'm sorry that you lost your job and you're going through um, the um, struggle during the pandemic, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty, I know it's, it's affecting a lot of people. So like, can you tell us like a little bit like what you've been experiencing? Have you been able to at least get unemployment and other government services during this time? Mm, so I got furloughed in March which means that I wasn't fired but I was temporarily laid off so I still have a job it's just my hours have been completely cut so in the state of Georgia and I forgot there's one other state that does this but once you're furloughed the state has the employer has to file for you every week and so in the beginning I didn't know that and my employer at the time wasn't sure about it either because they weren't told that. So I had to wait about a month and a half till I got anything. So I was, my bills were piling up. That was frustrating in the city. We were waiting on that. And so I finally got everything in like mid April. So now fast forward to like July to now going through basically the same thing. Because I think my benefits, they switched it to where I have to file on my own. But nobody notified me. So it's going on four weeks. I haven't heard anything. My HR manager hasn't heard anything. 
So I'm basically back to where I started with the frustration and like the lack of communication from uh, the Department of Labor. Man, I've been seeing <laughs> yeah. so many. I've been seeing so many stories like this. Man, it's just been. It's it's really a terrible situation for um a lot of people overall, and I'm sorry that you're going through this. You know, mm-hmm. um, have you like so? How does it make you feel like you know knowing that you got to deal with this frustration on top of that your schoolwork? How how are you able to balance both things? Um, well, school makes me feel better actually because it's something that keeps me busy, and I know that I'm getting closer to like my goal of getting my degree. The more schoolwork I do, but as far as the unemployment goes, I'm actually happy I'm not working, to be honest, because I've been working since, like, I was 17. Every year I've had a job since, like, 2013. So this is the break that I wanted so I can focus on school, but the uh, frustration that comes with it financially is just, like, ridiculous. Like, I've zero dollars a week. I don't have any source of income, and I can't look for a job in my industry because no one's going to hire me because there's no hours so it's been frustrating i would say financially i talked to my mom she's in louisiana uh she's upset at what i'm going through she wishes she could like help do something as far as like getting answers to the unemployment because it just stopped abruptly like nobody sent me a letter nothing um but I try to be positive because I do read about what everyone else is going through. And some people haven't gotten anything. Some people have kids. I don't have kids and I just focus on myself. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that I did get something, but I just, I can't tolerate watching adults in politics who are way older than me. You should be wiser than me. And you're not coming with, you're not coming up with common sense solutions at a time that you knew was going to come like there was a deadline for the cares act so it's not like it came out the blue you know yeah um yeah so that's that's my frustration just the financial stuff really so you did mention politics and i do want to kind of like i guess shift Mm -hmm. to that arena how does how has everything that you're currently experiencing influenced your ideals towards politics towards government towards um i guess even local government being like Mm -hmm. different ideals of quote-unquote leadership um, from different arenas from mayor of Atlanta to, to um, even the presidents from all, you know, throughout, you know, the state, state involvement in, you know, your personal life. How has, what's going on influence your views on that? Mm, well, definitely this pandemic, like, because, so, Federally, like with Trump and stuff, I never liked him in the first place. I didn't even vote for him. I voted for Hillary. Um, but <laughs> just with the pandemic, <laughs> it showed, I, I don't know, even if you like him, like it, this is just really, I just, and especially with the, I'll really speak on recently, the executive bill he signed, when you look at the details of it, I personally think that's selfish. Like just the, like they said, it should last five weeks. That's $1,500 at minimum so that's what you signed us for like five weeks of benefits and then we got to figure something out so federally i'm over them like i think it's a mess all over the place unorganized because their bills are paid they probably have everything paid for they don't have to leave their house to do anything because they have people that they pay to do everything for them uh yeah locally even i will say the governor governor kemp georgia he probably has a mansion in buckhead so i'm sure 
his kids have tutors, whatever. They got a chef, man, whatever. Like they, these people have those things. And so with him, I don't like him at all. I never did. He kind of reminds me of Trump in a sense. And also Ron DeSantis in Florida, like they all just kind of grouped them in the same uh, bubble of just selfishness. And they don't care about the people that they're, you know, taking responsibility for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, but right now this is like affecting not just poor people, it's affecting even people who are middle-class who normally would not have these problems with unemployment. Everyone is feeling these, it, like these problems that are happening. So it's going to like politics is definitely going to shift in a way it's never, because I, I'm 24. I've never in my life, even I can ask my mom, older people, this is like something that never has really happened like at this magnitude in such a short period of time this is like life-changing stuff that we're experiencing and we don't feel it right now directly some of us but like in the long run we're really going to see like the changes that are going to happen i totally yeah definitely agree i'm like what a way to start off the decade you know, like 2020 mm-hmm. is, the, is the, literally the, the starting point of the decade. And we started this decade off on the wrong foot. And oh, yeah. I was going to get a little bit spicy. I was going to say, um, how you feel about Keisha? Oh. Um, <laughs> especially uh-huh. like with certain things that's happening, like, for example, um, you know, her and the um, situation about, you know, kids that are selling water, um, water bottles on the street. Um, mm-hmm. You know, different things like that, especially that's happening in our community, and poli- her her um, stance on policing um, and different things like that. And since she was there throughout the whole um, uprising in Atlanta, yeah. I just want to see the whole perspective. I know um, a lot of people are shifting um, towards that also. So I just want to see, and I'm not trying to like guide, you know, or sway your answer or anything like that. I just want to oh, yeah, no. Like, um, so I don't know too much about her, honestly, like, but I know, like, when I first moved here, it was actually Super Bowl, so, like, I'm a Saints fan, I'm from Louisiana, so really, I just knew she did, she couldn't cook, and I knew she didn't want, like, my, in my city to come, she didn't want us to come to Atlanta, because Atlanta and New Orleans have such a rivalry, like, just even city-wise, just after Katrina, a lot of people from Louisiana moved here, so she will comment lightly on stuff like that. That was the beginning. But then once uh, all this stuff started happening, like the virus and I, she started speaking more, um, I'm more active in my Atlanta chat on GroupMe. I see what people have said about her. And some people were like, she's never been, like she's never had a black agenda really. Uh, just broad things that I would read about her. So I'm not, I don't, hate or anything but also I'm not going to be surprised if she's one of those types of mayors but I will say as far as like Governor Kemp suing her because she wanted to mandate masks I thought that was ridiculous like that woman wants to save her city like she wants to actually see some progression with businesses actually opening and whatever these other people are complaining about because how are you complaining about something but you're not taking the steps to make it happen you know uh, my bad. Sorry. And what else? Do you feel like people are taking it seriously? Um, in Atlanta? No. Um, no. <laughs> you sure? 
I was supposed to say I had traveled to Atlanta um, a couple times um, mm-hmm. throughout the pandemic and just seeing the different culture. Um, also seeing the compound. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> you saw that, Aaliyah? The swimming pool? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So how do you feel like everybody's handling the pandemic in the city? Um it's all over the place and I will say because I, I went out like not out out but I was driving around downtown like two weekends ago and I swear it looked like it was probably like 10 o'clock at night and it looked like the whole city was like hey let's all go out at one time because so many people were outside walking hotels were full people were sitting outside and it was a bunch of black people honestly and also um I had actually got an email from my company that manages my hotel because I work downtown like my hotel is right by the stadium so they were actually telling us on the weekends we get a we see a lot of like uh individual travelers like solo couples whatever not business nothing's really business because a lot of them canceled but we get a lot of leisure travel and that's really what I saw like there's people coming from out of town uh just hanging out because I was even reading about this girl, she was 23 and she came here for a birthday party from Tennessee like oh, about a month ago. Girl. Yeah, she she got the virus. She like, I think she was in a coma and she died within like what, the Dang. same week? Yeah. Yeah, like she deteriorated. Um, So I think people are coming here and they're not realizing that just live. I mean, for me living here is just kind of frustrating with all this stuff because people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And it's just paranoid in a sense, like, cause I went out, like I went to a bar, but it was outdoors. I made sure I was outside. I wore my mask, all that kind of temperature check, but that was only like a one-time thing. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. Cause I have, friends who go out to clubs every weekend i'll be here on the radio money bag yo the baby gucci man's gonna be here da, da, da. like and then today on the radio i heard this <laughs> the dude was like atlanta's back open atlanta's back open <laughs> and he was, it was a club promotion i'm like oh my gosh like yeah they don't take it seriously because Governor Kemp also played into that. He does not want it to be serious. He doesn't think it's serious. So I'm not even blaming the people for that. Like, it all falls back on government at the end of the day. Talking about, I want to bring up two things, right? You mentioned about, well, first of all, I don't even know. How did you get that information? uh, Mayor Bottom doesn't know how to cook. That was hilarious. Oh, she posted a picture of her food. Oh, the macaroni, yeah. yeah that's yeah. really roasted. I was like, bro, you got macaroni and cheese? Like, no. Everybody's just like, she's definitely in the second place. I'm not, you know, not trying yes. to Everybody's like, yo, how are you, why are you showing this? She posts multiple dishes. I'm like, okay. Y'all roasted the man. Y'all should be ashamed. Yeah. Now she she should have been ashamed of herself for like posting <laughs> yeah that oh go ahead no no i get you i get you so the other thing i wanted to say well it was a news report that came out today that you know she was in negotiation with governor kemp Mm -hmm. so um so initially had a court date 
and he withdrew the court date. And so there was like a negotiation, like a arbitration or mediation, if you if you have it. And so there's a report saying that okay, he gonna officially withdraw his lawsuit against her, not because they came to an agreement, but he says that um, Mayor Bottoms wants to extend it, not just to be the mass mandate, not just for the city of Atlanta governmental building, but all private businesses. And he was disagreeing with, you know, disagreeing with her. He don't think that's like the right approach. And mm-hmm. so essentially, long story short, he's gonna he's gonna issue out another executive order either on um, tomorrow and then he's gonna, he's gonna try to overrule he's trying to flex on her and and then so basically to nullify her particular uh order she made as a mayor and so like they it, they do have a contentious relationship and i do agree with you about the whole um the whole perception of trump and ron uh, governor DeSantis and governor kim you know they they're coming off like some bumbling in- idiots and I think mm-hmm. uh, I think they they doing America a great disservice. Um, it's just crazy. Just trying to get your uh, take on it. Like so, like I know you and I did. We went to a rally, and then have you mm-hmm. been to any other rallies or like? And what's or tell us about your experience when we went to the rally. Um, no, I haven't been to any more after that actually. But that one, so. This was like this past two years, my first time ever living in Atlanta because I visited once. So I didn't see as much when I came the first time. But I was really excited to be there first because I've never been in that area as much as I grew up watching like MLK. You know, the child videos they show you in school of his childhood home, my friend Martin, all that stuff. Like I never thought I would be living in proximity to like so many historical things, his home and all that. So I was happy to even be in like the presence of the church and his family that was probably the biggest deal for me was his daughter was there like I was really humbled by that you know like that's something a lot of people can't say and will not be able to say that they got to experience being in the presence of someone's you know family member directly like their child so um yeah that was cool listening to her speak and then when we marched I felt you know I've never been to a protest before in my life. So that was my first one ever. So I felt really good. And I felt like, you know, I was doing something right. And I wasn't ashamed at all. Like, that's not anything to be ashamed of speaking out for things, whether it's a protest or verbally online or, you know, just wherever, like speaking out for what's right and standing on it. I think that's like a very important thing to do. Um, So that was a really, that was a really good day for me. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Plus, we, plus we were masked up when we was out there. I want, to mm-hmm. circle, I want to circle back, and then you did mention that you are a college student and you were taking most of your classes online. So if you mm-hmm. don't mind uh, asking, so what's your major? Like, what are, and then like, and what are some of your goals after you obtain your degree? Are you an undergrad? Yeah, I'm still an undergrad. Um, my major, well, I'm studying social science. It's pretty broad, but I'm focused on behavioral science which is sociology but criminal justice is another thing that I'm kind of like putting into my degree because I want to learn about the system because I do want to be a part of it with helping people like uh, maybe counseling in a prison or something like that but I want to mix sociology criminal justice and social work together because once I get my 
bachelor's, I want to go to uh, grad school for social work. Um, so yeah, my end goal is just to help people, like especially children, homeless, the elderly, and people in prison, especially innocent people. Um, but I don't have anything specific that I want to do. I don't want to be a police officer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I yeah not no correctional no I don't want to do none of that I want to be more of a therapeutic type of person like just someone that people can talk to or have faith in that you know I will help them so I want to be a philanthropist overall I kind of want to get spicy with this also um mm-hmm. this kind of correlates what's going on in politics right now mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you heard about the nomination for vice president for mm-hmm. Biden um there's no i'm not sure if you're aware about keith not keisha oh my god yeah her history as a prosecutor and i think it's it's a level of duality for a lot of people i know how i feel about um you know vice potential vice president harris um mm-hmm. i already know because they're just being just being aware about names that she supported in history um, and, you know, her her views on crime, being tougher on crime and stuff like that. So I was trying to say just with what she currently studying in school, how do you feel about that nomination? Uh, also, um, you know, your identity, how it affects your, your identity as a Black woman. I know mm-hmm. a lot of Black women are just hopeful and just like um, happy to see another Black woman spotlighted in this type of thing. Um, yeah. In other words, are you a Kamala fan? <laughs> mm, not. I'm not gonna say I'm a fan. Like I just, I'm neutral. But I will say, like I'm definitely. I don't know much about her, but I've definitely read the things that she's done, and I definitely don't agree. Like there was a guy who had everything to prove he was innocent. She left him where he was. She didn't even consider his case. So I like just reading stuff like that, the fact that she was conscious enough to even make that decision and she was okay with that does not sit right with me. But um, I don't know, because then also Joe Biden with the whole crime bill stuff. I don't know. Like, I, I'm at a point, I'm not a thousand percent behind the anybody but Trump because you do have to be rational, but we already had Trump and I'm I'm going to say I personally do not want to see him. So I'm willing to give Joe and Kamala a chance because what if they come in and they completely prove us wrong? And like, you know, you do stuff in the past, you can't undo it. But what if they do things that are showing that they've learned from what they've, you know, done in the past, that they're trying to be better and that they hear us complaining about their past decisions, you know? Um, So that's, that's how I feel. I don't, really care for and especially the black woman part um i like to see it i love to see it but her i mean it's cool like (laughs) i don't i'm neutral on her like i really i'm just i don't know i'm ready for something different i'm just tired of trump that's just how i feel i personally would have preferred bernie though um over anybody oh that's real yeah. <laughs> this was gets really fast. This just gets really fast. because uh, we all we almost got uh we almost done. And I, I know you're a big hip hop fan and I know you're a big yeah. fan. And so I wanna ask you about two topics. And uh I know the first one where so tell us about your uh I know you watched this film, The Blackest King. So so tell mm-hmm. us about your thoughts on that. Um, I loved it actually because I 
watched, well, no, I watched, I, well, I didn't watch The Lion King when it came out last year, but I did listen to the album, like the one that Beyonce put out. And my dad, he's from South Africa. So I do have like direct African roots that I relate to. So I listened to it and I viewed the film in a different way than I guess some people would view it because some people really don't appreciate it. Like there were little things that I saw um, from my family's Zulu tribe that she like really did research on, like the weddings and just the clothing, the jewelry, all that stuff and just different scenarios. And the whole film was actually music videos. Most like majority was like 99% music videos. It wasn't a movie. She literally put the songs and made a film out of it, but it was literally just music videos in film form. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool, but um, it made me proud. Even if you you don't have direct African roots, like, I feel like you should be proud that someone with her level of, like, fame did something like that. Like, she really took the time out to, and focus on Africa, not, you know, some itty-bitty part of... Asia or Europe or some like I, I don't know it's just we don't get that a lot you know to really see our people in from different parts of Africa like that not just Nigeria not Ethiopia but she went everywhere mm-hmm. and she filmed in different locations as well around the world so I thought that was pretty cool too um, I'll say, oh, I was gonna mm-hmm. say this my my thoughts I, I hope all the Beehive fans don't kill me <laughs> but I think my biggest critique about even when we talk about um, just Beyonce mm-hmm. uh, what she does you know actions like that even where she did Super Bowl when it's the Super Bowl with the Black Panthers it's like oftentimes it's like are we actually engaging with what does it mean to be a part of Africa or the Pan-African ideals or even when she had that um, the Black Panther the Black Panther in the Super Bowl couple years back are we really engaging with the very ethos of what it means to be a part of black panthers or to show homage to them or their beliefs i oftentimes think people just appreciate the aesthetics of it Mm. and just feel like okay i'm part of it but when it comes down to like including africa in our politics like even when we talk about like what's going on in the world right now how often do we in america say hey these candidates are going to affect Africa. How right. often do we include that in our conversation? Like, it's easy for us to be like, you know, say, hey, we feel part of Africa and when it comes down to a music video or, you know, films or stuff like that. But why oftentimes, I'm not saying like everybody is, but why oftentimes when it comes down to be involved in these conversations uh, or showing like special interest in Africa, uh, even though it's asking people like to, like, I remember just getting a conversation with people say, hey, why don't we travel to Africa? Like, why we don't see Africa as a travel destination, like different countries in Africa? Or why don't a lot of people don't even know more than 10 countries in Africa? So it's like, right. how do you feel like currently people are invested in Africa in different countries in Africa and not just the aesthetics of it? Uh, I definitely agree that there's an aesthetics to it, but I will say um, the aesthetics part I'll I'll speak for maybe some people who don't have direct uh like lineage that they know of to relate to Africa like they don't know much about it they don't even know much about their family here so all they can really go off of is aesthetics and maybe they're just um 
like ignorant to how important it is to like actually be knowledgeable on including Africa in the conversations, even whenever it comes down to like the conversations we don't want to have. Because I'm not going to blame people for celebrating. Like, I'm not going to just fault people for celebrating because it's beautiful. It's just some people don't feel that direct. Like when we talk about race and African-American versus, you know, like the labels of black people, some people I've seen them say like, well, I don't have anybody who I know from Africa and this that, and the third, you know, like people don't feel any type of connection to it to really go past an aesthetic mindset. Like they appreciate it but it's not deep enough for them to be inclusive of including them in a conversation, yeah. you know? Out of mind. Hmm? Out of sight, out of mind type of thing. Yeah, like, you know, like, for example, Caribbean, like the Caribbean, you're Haitian, uh, bam, like, I'm not Haitian. I'm not saying I don't care about Haiti, but that's not, uh, like, my, I don't keep up with it, you know? not on purpose but it's just not a part of my life and it's not on purpose it's just that's not what I grew up around my family I don't have nothing Haitian related in my life you know like anything with the Caribbean has nothing to do with me uh directly so I think that's how a lot of people move Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. they go off of how they grew up uh and then as far as the Black Panthers uh I don't know, I guess that goes into deeper conversations like with the Nation of Islam stuff because that, that can intertwine with a lot of things as to why some people don't, because some people be bashing it, some people do, I mean, some people don't. I just, I appreciated the performance because it offended people, like, well, really white people, but <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just... So just to like kind of elaborate, I think to talk about the Black Panthers to like pay homage. Um, mm-hmm. So so when we talk about the Black Panthers, a lot of people don't dive deeper about what did it mean, what did the uh, Black Panthers stood for. So one mm-hmm. of the things I uh, mentioned like a long time ago when it came out is to understand that you know how entrenched uh, Beyonce and Jay Z are in capitalism and capitalistic ideals. Right. Okay. To show homage and and just brash the not brash but um, glorify the aesthetics of the Black Panthers, kind of shows they don't understand the very ethics of what the Black Panthers stood for. Because there's a lot of things that they stood for that would kind of go against the idea of what Beyonce and Jay Z does on a daily basis, or I don't know what they do on a daily basis, but. Mm -hmm. publicly yet we perceive them as so that's the main thing that's pretty much the primary critique on you know beyond it's kind of like when drake kind of just jump i'm not i guess i am comparing drake and beyonce (laughs) fashion they do it's kind of like you know how drake hop off from different cultures yeah his accent is like you know he had these accents and stuff like that it's kind of you know it's kind of that same feeling that a lot of people have when come down to beyonce Beehive, don't kill me about this, please. I love Beyonce. I, I like, and I don't, and people be like, or people will mistake in admiration for obsession or like, oh, you think they're God. And she's like, no, like, there's no, I, to me, like, there's nothing wrong with just looking at someone and really being proud or just like admiring their ethic, you know, basic stuff that you want to be like, being a better individual, you want to see people who are doing their best and 
you know, striving for that at all times. And I think she's one of those people. Now, on Jay-Z, I feel like because she's married to them, she does get tied into those conversations with the business stuff because Beyonce is a very personal person. Like, even her mom has Instagram. Her mom be posting videos, pictures. They were on a boat together, like, this past weekend, or not weekend, but a couple of days ago. Beyonce was right next to her on the boat. You didn't see her because Beyonce does not want to be seen. Like, she doesn't (laughs) – she's very private. So, I think – I I don't know. I feel like people try to paint her like she's something that she's not. Because this girl's from Texas. Like, she's humble. She's country. Like, she's not. Like, she's just really famous. And she's married to someone who doesn't have, like, the best past. And currently, his business decisions, especially with the NFL, have really raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, And so she gets mixed into it. But she doesn't do any of that stuff. Like, she literally focuses on her music and, you know, just trying to, like, be a good person, my opinion. So I personally don't think that she's not knowledgeable of the things. I just think certain things she just doesn't broadcast because she's really private. Like, you'll never know the conversations that she has or the things that she knows because she doesn't tell us. And she knows that. For sure, for sure. And that I kind of leads us to one more thing. So I wanted to ask you about this. And co-host Wallace had, he kind of touched upon it as well. Like, you know, sometimes we say, whether it's Beyonce or Drake or any other artist, <clears throat> can Black people appropriate other, uh, other quote-unquote, Black culture? You know, and that's, I think this is a, it's a really important mm-hmm. dialogue to have. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Black people appropriate Black yes. culture? Yeah. We all, because you got to remember that. So let me say this. So we're all a part of the Black diaspora. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless if you're from the boot or you from Florida or you from Cali or you from mm-hmm. a whole nother continent, you know, it or an island, it doesn't matter. You Black and I'm Black. Be part of the diaspora, you know. Mm-hmm. Bam, bam! I got a quick question for you. Go ahead, my brother. <laughs> this is we're gonna take this to the streets. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take this to the streets just to answer this question and just not like and touch, um, you know, put so much thought onto this. For me, yeah. If if you from if you're from the south and you move to New York and start jacking a slang, people will beat your ass. Am I correct? Really. Or people wait, 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 wait. You start jacking a slang. Like, won't you? Won't people feel some type of way? Like, even when we talk about like ASAP Rocky, um, copying a Houston flow, or like people get upset doing them. people doing that. This all on up. You see, but also it can, it, can, it can be looked in this way as well. And the way it can be looked at is assimilation, and it's like a form of flattery. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what Drake has said when he did the whole Jamaican accent, you know? So um, the whole idea is, you know, yeah, but a person can, like, you know, we, Black people are the best code switchers, right? You know, we go, we have one, we have one vernacular around Black people, and then we can, we can switch it up when we're about a, uh, around a bunch of white folks. Other demographics can't do that. So, yeah, if you're from the South, you go to New York, and then you start saying, you start using their language, if they don't know you from somewhere else, you know, one, you can just assimilate it, or, you know, you're doing it to blend in, 
or it's a form of flattery because that's the language they learn. That's the language, that's how they speak over there. So you know, you don't want to stick out with a sore thumb. Some people don't. Some people. I'll, do. I'll say one more thing. One thing that makes culture, um, I guess, makes it so violent is it kind of erases people cultures. It kind of like because when you're an outsider, even because when, when we say black people can't appropriate other black people cultures, we're we're automatically assuming that black people are monolithic, that we have ownership on different people cultures, um, which is not necessarily true and kind of erases, you know, what that culture truly stands for. So like, for example, with Drake, like saying pop, like speaking pop talk, um, not correctly and just kind of showing up, branding it like an aesthetic in a sense and kind of mm-hmm. just diminish the cultural values. Because if you talk about certain things, like visually, like when you talk about like voodoo, and I'm not talking about Drake when coming out of voodoo, but certain things that are shown in Black culture by other Black people that are not part of culture, it kind of removed, we kind of like has a false depiction of that particular culture. Now, people are kind of like erased and, you know, we're not occupying that, that space anymore. Like, if I'm a Haitian actor and I want to act in a, real, a true Haitian role, they just gonna say, hey, you know what? We're gonna have somebody that kinda kinda you're black, you're kinda you can kinda, you know, do that Haitian accent. We're gonna use you, and that kind of erases people, that kind of marginalizes people who are part of that culture. So that's why I say black people can appropriate. Cause it's not because black first, black is not it's a race and not a culture. Like blackness has culture, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a culture. It's it's a it's con, it's in a conjunction of many cultures in the sense that that makes sense. I agree. What do you think, Leah? Um, after Wallace's explanation, I have to agree because yeah, black people we have different, but we come from different backgrounds. North and South, East and West in America alone, those four regions are completely different. And then whenever you go outside of America, you have so much more, and it's totally different. So I, I definitely agree with him. Uh, dang, I didn't know you get what beat up <laughs> go to New York. Are you talking yeah, I, like that? I was being hyperbolic. I was being hyperbolic. I know, I know. It's like they take that shit seriously. Like if you hear a rapper from the South and they or you hear a rapper from New York start rapping like, you know, they from the South, people will make fun of you about that. They'd be like, Damn, Oh, so are you rappers, so are you speaking trying to rap like that? Are you speaking like musically when people or just like say I went because I'm I've never been in New York, but like if I were to go up there and I started talking like them, would it be a problem? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, but I'm not. I'm just giving like a general example. I'm not, I'm not sure what nigga. Oh, okay. Nigga, if you're a New York nigga, do not quote me on this. I'm just saying, just in general, just from examples I seen. Okay. Um, I, I kind of just use rappers in a sense because it's a more more palatable, common. Yeah, it's a more palatable example of what like cultural appropriation is on a broader scale. So when I say like a rapper, like if you he's not from a certain area and he adapts mm-hmm. that lingo just to pop off people are going to look at him differently. You feel me? Right. And I could um, I could even think of, like, the dashikis, like, during Black Panther. Um, there was a lot of stuff, like, conversations and offense about, you know, African-Americans versus people from Africa and all the clothing that everyone was choosing to wear and how, like, even white people, just everybody was just wearing it like it was some trends, you know, like the patterns and stuff. I, I would probably put that into the appropriation box as well 
All right, you know, so I guess I'm gonna have to take I'm gonna have to take the uh, the opposing view on this. Y'all <laughs> both clearly on the same page, which is cool. I don't think black people can appropriate other black people. If you black, you black. In my opinion, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Here's, a, here's the thing: there's a respectful way of doing it, and then there's a disrespectful way of doing it. Oh and, yeah, you know, you should you should be cognizant of that. Now, um, I get it. I hear it. You know, I hear it loud and clear. But I think one point my co-host said, Wallace, and just the point I would like to address is that um, culture doesn't technically have gatekeepers, you know, and it doesn't have gatekeepers. So I definitely agree with that. We don't really, we can't police some people from wearing this and that. I remember when some people in Africa had, beef with black people wearing dashikis but it's like we can't stop people from doing it it's like we can't stop white people from appropriating us um that's the only thing i want to say on it i'm not going to take up too much time about it it's just one of those things where uh it just because you black you know just because you're black and um i think you can't have a pass but i think it's the way you go about it are you paying a mm-hmm. homage to it or whatnot and that, oh, yeah. that leads into cultural appreciation. I'm not saying like if you're in, you're in part of another culture, you can't come into it and say I appreciate it. I'm gonna learn about your culture. I'm gonna that's that's cultural appreciation. Like if I want to go to Ghana right now and say, hey, I want to learn about the culture. I want to honor. I want to show respect. I want to be a part of this. People will be receptive of that. Like if you have if you have a girlfriend that's American, and I know you're married, uh, but I'm just saying this for example. Like, if you have somebody that's, you know, if she said, I want to be learn how to speak the language, I want to learn how to cook the food, I'm pretty sure your parents would be like, they'll, they'll be happy as shit. Am I correct? Like, they'll I mean, be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, the perception is subjective, and the approach is what is really put into question, you know? Mm-hmm. So... So what you're Agreed. saying does have a lot of merit. It's just that, like, some people just don't care. Like, I remember when we was at the protest, right? When me and Lee mm-hmm. was at the protest, we saw people literally take a picture for the gram and then, like, 20 minutes later, they jump in the car, they were out, you know? <laughs> it was out there yeah. for a fashion show. And, oh, yeah. You know, so, and we're talking about black and white people. So they, you could, you could someone could make an argument, they weren't appreciating the essence or the, the foundation or the basis of the protest, they were there to appropriate it, to take complete advantage of it. So, it you know, it's really subjective, like, because the person can be I wouldn't say appropriate. I'll say definitely take advantage of it, like, exploit the aesthetics of protest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I don't Do you see the same thing when you was, prote- when you was protesting? Like, do you see the um, people doing the same thing? Oh, yeah, what is it? We saw, we saw some people like that, but go ahead, Lee. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask, like, your thoughts on it. I know, I, I've seen a lot on social media, like, you know, people are quick to, like, sh- um, you know, post it online, you know, that there was at a protest, and I'm not sure if oh, they yeah. anything like that, so I was just trying yeah. to see like, I saw somebody, man, they had a hairstylist and photographer, they just took pictures in their driveway with the posters, like, it was a photo shoot to post Black Lives Matter stuff. They didn't actually go to a protest. Um, but I was going to say, I 
the black appropriation thing, it's not really a deep issue or concern for me as much as like appropriation from other cultures are because that's historical and that's been detrimental and that's more important to me. Like black people, we, we share things and sometimes it's not, uh, I guess some people get offended. Some people don't, but like, I, I don't see like a deep, it's not really a super deep issue to the point where we're hurting each other. It's more about learning how, like the proper ways to embrace it and how to communicate. If you want to embrace it, like you need to kind of communicate that to the people that you're quote unquote appropriating, like Drake. If he's trying to mock people in Europe or Jamaica or whoever, like he needs to also address like the inspiration behind that, not just do it and then just not say anything because it's seeming like you're hopping off of everyone and making money off, he's profiting off stuff like that and then That's you have and you have yeah europeans and people white people who have no idea what it's like to even be those types of people mimicking those things and like they think it's cool and it sounds cute uh you know but in real life that's stuff that we have to deal with having issues with accents in public and people making fun of you or you don't sound right for the job you know so like my dad he went through that like cause he has an African accent but you know like he had trouble at first like getting through communication to a lot of white people because he worked in tv production so like he has to be around a lot of white people so yeah that is an issue but it's not deep as deep as the issue of white people appropriating us that's my opinion yeah so how do y'all feel about Ky- mr kanye west um recent ambitions to actually run for president you know, I know he's been on the news lately. Everybody know who Kanye West is. If you don't know who he is, you know, I kind of feel bad for you. You know, but yeah, I just want to get your opinion, both of y'all, on Kanye West's aspirations to be president and his whole undertaking about doing it. Um, I just am going to say I don't support him running for president mainly because he does have mental health issues and uh i just don't think that would be a really good thing especially mainly for him to be in office in that type of a mental state um and i'm only thinking of him personally whenever i'm speaking on it because at the end of the day it's about him i would hate to see him like take his life or you know something and he's on such a huge platform in in front of the whole world you know that's embarrassing and you're a black man at that i would hate to see one of our men do something like that um so i don't support him at all running for president it's not healthy wallace i think for kanye um give me a second um i'm trying to think i think when come down to kanye Ooh, um, I have very complex thoughts about him. Um, one, I I thought about like one idea that he generate he was projected to generate two percent of votes, and I thought that was interesting. My first thought was why? Why no? My always my first thought is like if he was able to do this in probably like two to three months, imagine if we were able to actually like if we as people are actually investing creating a third party like. We spent the last four years trying to develop for a third party. Like mm-hmm. how revolutionary that would have been. 
the idea of liberation, how much closer would that have been if that actually happened? But to focus similarly on Kanye, I think it is a very complex issue. Um, I think first is to talk about like mental health, um, you know, and talk about like how it manifests. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, when people talk about mental health, um, they kind of stigmatize it a little bit, kind of like just automatically blame him going to like a manic state and not just saying, hey, this is probably, partly this is partly who he is. Like he has shown history of being narcissistic, um, being extremely driven by himself and throughout his history, it's, we, we don't, we're not holding Kanye accountable because he's Kanye West. Um, even before, before he's gone through this, um, you know, we just kind of call it like streams of consciousness or just like we, we appreciate it as his confidence um, and not kind of hold him accountable for saying certain things um, or being a certain type of way. And it's kind of just manifesting in a different way that we don't like. And I, people are kind of like saying, hey, um, they're looking at it differently now. They're kind of blaming it on us. And I'm not saying mental health does not play a role, but I think when you do go, like, people who are in that community and they don't receive that same sympathy, like, um, I forgot her name. She's also a rapper. Who? Banks. Uh, Azalea Banks? Yes, she doesn't receive that same level of sympathy or a lot of other people who uh, go through bipolar issues. It's like, Yes, um, you go through these spells of mania or things like that. I'm saying this from somebody that I go through things also. So it's just like, but I also mm-hmm. know I hold myself accountable for um, things. And I know I try to get, I, I try to hold myself, um, if I know I'm going through certain things, I automatically go through my coping me- mechanisms. And one thing that stood out to me, Ukiah, he kind of doesn't do that for himself. He doesn't hold, like, he doesn't say, hey, I know I'm about to, I'm not, I'm not extremely well-versed on bipolar, so I may come off extremely ignorant. I'm not sure if you can feel it. I just know when I have extreme anxiety, I can, I can sometimes feel it coming on. And I just know right. things I can do. And I'm saying like this, I go through, I do stupid shit when I, my anxiety go on 10. Um, but I also know um, before it goes on or even like, when, when I came to realize this was a big, this game personal, like when I realized this has become a big problem in my life and it's affecting my day, everyday action, I saw help. I went, I saw, I got therapy. I did everything possible to um, make sure it doesn't affect people I love. And right. I think there's options that Kanye was like, okay, they're talking about taking him to the hospital, taking him, you know, prescriptions and stuff like that, doing things to help him heal. And I think my biggest thing, I guess, to bring everything to to the forefront that he doesn't want to or it doesn't seem like he wants to heal from this and i know it's it's a hard it's a very complex thing but um because sometimes you just don't want to admit and that's a very valid feeling like you just don't want to like come to grips that you have certain um so that's my biggest thing with kai it's a very complex thing i want to show him sympathy but i also want to hold him accountable for his actions to hey you know, yes, you can go through these things, but please make sure that you invest in yourself. Like you have these levels of research. You can go to the best office. You can do whatever. Um, and you can do so much better. Um, but also part of me, I understand like, I'm not blaming all his actions on being bipolar. I also mm-hmm. know he's a narcissist. Like he displayed, he's, I'm not gonna say he is. Um, he is um, 
I want to say portrayed also, he comes off as one. Um, his action displays that he has a level of narcissism, whether it's, you know, he's acting or anything like that. He's portraying a, a person that shows a lot of narcissism. And I think that should be considered when we talk about Kanye and, you know, his antics in life. No one man should have all that power. You know, Kanye <laughs> got us talking about him. You know, he ain't even present. <laughs> you know, so I just have a different take on the whole situation with Kanye. I think it's, uh, my, my take on certain things is pretty radical or uh, unconventional. And so Kanye is of the age where he can run for president. He is, um, he can fully fund his campaign. You won't see me donating a dime to it. Um, I do think he does have episodes and bouts of mania when he's not taking his medication. We see that on the public forum and the public platform, you know, because it does, it, it's, it is very embarrassing to see a black man go, um, I guess, think that low sometimes, you know, and some people find it amusing, but it's really not amusing when you really um, analyze it. It's really not amusing. And Azalea mm-hmm. Big does go through the same thing. So I t- definitely agree with the comparison with the two. But um, at this point, you know, sometimes some people are their own worst enemies. And I think it's quite impressive. So, like I said, my take on Kanye is going to be vastly different both of y'all. I think he does bring an element that the Democratic Party um, cannot counter. That's one. And the whole, the whole premise, and it actually does help the GOP and Donald Trump in the sense where, like, they did the polling. He had two different polls done for him, and he came out in those polls with 2% of people who wanted to support him for his presidency. Now, 2% is really not a lot, but when you, when you, when you, take, when you factor in the people that were surveyed, the amount of people that were surveyed, yeah, 2% even entertained the idea. So let's Put in perspective, there are people who get zero percent. That means nobody's going to vote for them. You know, Kanye is polling at two percent. So if he's polling, there was a poll done for him in July and it's polled down for him in August. So let's say we get close. We're in October. What if he go from two percent to now eight percent of the electorate, right? Uh, eligible mm. vote. That is a really incredible thing, you know, to even think about. And then he's like, let's say he's actually on at least 15 state ballots or people can write him in. That's like, yo, that'd be so, because he does have this incredible influence on people younger than all three of us on this actual podcast. And so I just think with him being doing that and in his influence and people actually considering voting for him, that lets you know how bad our choices are if it were, you know, in that, if to get to that hypothetical, they would vote for him even knowing he has these bouts and stages of um, bipolarisms or what you may have it. And then the whole, and the last thing I want to say is that I think it's pretty crazy or ingenuous of the GOP, of the Republicans to weaponize Kanye and for Kanye to out of his own mouth say that, yeah, I, I'm willing to siphon off votes from the Democrats because I don't like, that's how much I don't like the Democrats. That's mind blowing, you know, that this man could even do that or even say that. So 
and and that's his in exact intention. You know, let's let's pretend like we know Kanye is very cognizant and he can think for himself. He just thinks much differently from all of us. So what y'all think? I'm just not an overall good candidate because at the end of the day, like when things like what we're going through now happen, we're looking to you to make the best decisions for millions of people. The world's looking at you and all like jokes, whatever side. Cause I would call him like Kunta Kunye. Cause I, I just didn't agree with some of the stuff he said, but I just personally would not put him in just because of what he is going through. And then look at the family that he's married into. I just don't uh, know. It would be probably worse than Trump. Honestly, it would be definitely a, a, a show if they were like in the White House. They would probably be filming the family fighting on the line for the TV show. Like getting the butt- sisters fight each other. Yeah, getting butt injections. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like it would represent American culture at this point. Oh, yeah, sadly. I, I mean, I, people don't, people get mad when I say this, but I say, you may not like <laughs> Trump, but he represents American ethos, like American ethics. And right. it, to, to, yeah. to every extent, people say opinions without factual premises, and they want to just say their opinions without being critique, and that's a lot, that's in a lot of circles. Um, people just want to be proud about America for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. People don't want to have certain changes about America. People are anti-poor. People are privileged. People are white. People. There's a reason why people look at look up at Trump as a cult-like God figure because he represents it. Even he doesn't represent the ideal we have of America, like. A lot of people have in America that it's this moral, it's on the zenith of a moral compass. No, he, he represents what America is and what has portrayed throughout history, a oppressive country centered on white maleness or straight white maleness. And we don't want to come to grips with that shit. And, you know, I think that's, that's probably the number one reason I feel like people are uncomfortable with Trump. It's not about what he says or do. It's more about like, He's that ugly racism you try to avoid. We know, we know he represents America. Like he is America and wow. our nation. And people don't want to uh-huh. be like, this is America. This, this is <laughs> America is. People Alex Gambino. Yeah. Even like in liberal circles, we try to have this optimistic view of America. And it's like, yo, when you talk to black people, like, nah, and you know, when white people talk, white liberals talk to black people, it's like, no, like. Why are you just understanding this is how we view America? Like, no, like people are just don't want to come to that realization that America is oppressive as shit. We're oppressive not to people in this country and we're oppressive to people in this world. And Trump represents that blatantly. He does not give a fuck about he's gonna bomb a country, a bomb will bomb a country and pretend it never happened. Bomb will pull up to Flint and knowing the water is dirty. And say, hey, I'm a the water's clean. He'll he'll give speeches to make sure it look America look good, but he's really oppressive as fuck. Um, but Trump would do it blatantly, it does not give a fuck. I think that's the biggest thing why people like Trump. And when we talk about like Kanye, um, we're scared of the same thing. We're scared it's gonna be like a black based version. Um, another side of American, you know, the super overly zealous Christian aspect of America that people are scared to like that will rear his utter uh, ugly head and people don't want to 
come to grips with that. I feel like we just we just don't want to face reality, and that's why we have. And I'm not saying this Kanye and Trump is a great candidate or should be candidates of presidency or represent presidency. I'm just saying like this is one of the biggest fears that a lot of people don't want to come to grips with. But society's changing, though, and, like, yeah, that's the norm for some people, but that's not, like, America has changed, like, how we live, our ancestors and people from way back when wouldn't imagine, they can't imagine that this would be the reality, so I'm not, I'm gonna have to disagree, I don't think America, I mean, Trump represents what we are, he represents what people want to go back to that tolerant like tolerating that like I think the tolerance level is decreasing for that type of like mindset that he has and that you know how he moves I just I don't see that because that's mainly I'm gonna say for older people around his age range who would really agree with him and then of course if they're teaching their children or the younger people in their families how to think like that then yeah you're gonna have young people thinking like that but in general I don't think the younger generations are on that mindset they're way more progressive than that how so like what do you feel like is the main difference because i i mean i do see things are changing Mm -hmm. uh, but i do think a lot of people are clinging on to these people don't want to like have a revolutionary let go of certain things um people are understanding certain things like for example like people say defund the police like i ain't know i ain't think we'll ever get to this conversation (laughs) even though like i'm a i believe in prison about you know prison should be abolished so i was like for us to even start a conversation i was like bro i thought i'll be in my 50s when people just yeah. start, starting this conversation but um but on the backhand side just seeing um harris being elected or not elected but selected yeah um, it's just kind of like it's like okay maybe we, we people understand it on the surface level but do they truly understand and that's why um, struggle understanding like are we truly progressing are people are just doing it because it's trendy are people really willing to let go of certain privileges for liberation or are they just like hey I just want to do it because it's trendy it's something cool to talk about or are we really willing to commit to change I, I mean agree that people are aware of it but I want to say people mm-hmm. are willing to commit to changes and making those letting go to their idea of security and making those changes but change is not like it's so much easier to talk about it and yeah we want it to happen but it's also hard to like make it happen it's a lot easier if we just continue to verbally speak because at least you're speaking into existence and i i prefer that than nothing at all but um we even see in politics some of the few people that do try to push change or try to do things that are right they get torn down immediately so even if you're in a position to like do something, sometimes it is hard because politics is just, it's a lot of people in there, in my opinion, who just are beyond their time limit. They should be like dead or they should be retired. Like, why are you still there? Why are you still trying to govern people who are like triple times younger than you, who have the rest of their life to live? You've lived life. You've lived a racist and, segregated life and we're not there anymore and a lot of some people don't like older people some of them aren't um comprehending that we're past that they this weird for them to see the stuff that's going on and they teach their children that who may be in their 40s and 50s those are their children their children are even thinking because my even my mom my mom is like 50 
early 50s and she's from she was born in Knoxville Tennessee and she was telling me like in the 80s I think or 70s she was like a teenager like she had to swim in a black only pool like a black only pool because here in Atlanta there's a sign in front of city hall that talks about the segregation here that was going on even though like there were laws that were coming through that said blacks can go to movie theaters and pools and stuff but the students here like protested that because they were still being told they can't go swimming in certain places go to theaters pool halls all that stuff and my mom said like she experienced that in Tennessee and that wasn't that long ago and my mom is not that old <laughs> so I think there's some progression it's just there's people who still live who are still living that don't they're not used to that and that's not normal to them that's completely like foreign there's like people who still believe in the three-fourths human thing for black people you know like there's some things that people mentally they just don't think we're we're worthy of having like happiness on an equal level like some people really don't believe that you know and trump embodies that you know yeah <laughs> I also say, just to your point, you know, a lot of times progress is not like a straight line. You know, oh yeah. We go straight. We take five steps back. We go. Five, we take five steps forward. We take two steps back. Like it, it happens. And I think the biggest reason, like certain things, I'll be like, we're not, we're not taking these steps yet. Like for example, when people, are, when I talk, when we talk about politics or anything like that, or when people argue with me about and use the argument, um, we gotta choose between two lessers of evils. The first thing that pops up to my mind is Du Bois, he has an essay that came out in 1956, um, why he, he, he isn't voting. And he, he, went through a, he went through the same argument. That's like almost like 60 years ago, or that's beyond 60 years ago. And I'm just like, bro, how, why are we progressing through these logics? Why aren't we progressing anything? I think it's personal frustration Nope. Nope. I disagree. There's, there's a legitimate force that Trump represents that does that hates this progress. You know, that literally hates he embodies, he characterizes that particular resistance. Oh, you know? I'm, talk, I'm talking about in general, not just with Trump. I'm just saying, like, you know, when we talk about mm-hmm. progress in America in general, it's like sometimes I feel like, okay, maybe we're taking a couple steps forward. But I understand, like, when we talk, when we have certain rhetorics like that, like, when I talk about the boys' example, it's just like, I be like, damn, y'all niggas really are saying the same shit they said 60 years ago. Like, we really ain't about to be free because we're going to say the same shit every mm-hmm. year. And it's like, you know, when are we going to progress in these conversations? Why are we going to add nuance? When are we going to say, hey, let's explore different options of political engagement, not even just regarding voting, just like how can we develop an idea of community better and progress into that stage? And I think just being me, I sometimes is a level of frustration just knowing who I am. I expect to be at a certain place and I have to understand like everybody's not there yet. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm answer people or anything like that it's like i know where i want to be i know a lot of people aren't there yet or want to be there or you know it's just that level of frustration and that's how i that's kind of like it affects my view of progress progress in a sense you know i will say this there's um ben jones was on cnn and he 
was the first person to state this on national television on the election night in 2016, November. White latch is a serious thing. So every time, you know, we've had these conversations from um, W.E.B. Du Bois, and um, we're talking about Booker T. Washington, we're talking about um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, we're talking, when we compare these, these men from, even historical women as well, you know, during that time frame, you know, talking about these conversations that our forefathers, our ancestors talked about and fought for, and we're still having these same conversations, is because there is a legitimate pushback from the white demographic, and I'm just going to be blunt with it, from the white demographic that does not like, you know, progress, you know, they say change is slow. The reason change is slow because there's somebody on the, if change was a door and you were trying to open it, there's somebody behind that door pushing it to prevent you from opening it. You know, mm -hmm. and the only reason it starts to crack open is because, you know, proverbially, you know, one, one of the individuals pushing you from opening that door is dying off. So they just literally just weakening off. That's why they say that, mm -hmm. they don't even want to say that there's even some verbiage that says that America is going to become a minority, majority, whatever the fuck that means. You feel I me? Mean? It just <laughs> means that there are less white people than there are black people and other people of color and they don't want to frame it like that so they, they label it minority majority you know which makes absolutely no sense um they cancel each other out but that's neither here nor there you know and so sometimes we have to look at it in a very specific lens who's doing this because when we look at it in my opinion in a general sense we're not really we're not really targeting the problem you know and and um i saw a report yesterday or two days ago that says that 250 or 260 uh, people of color are running for elected office. So what my one of my questions in my mind is that can you imagine not just like that and uh, we get to a state in time where <clears throat> we get to a state in time where the minorities and black people are now the dominant individuals of society but what if that starts to reflect Congress? You know, like, man, you feel me? You know, because every generation, you know, when, when all of us start to have children, the way they're raised, it'll be in a world that is completely different from the world we came up in. You know, uh -huh. it's like... I was going to say one thing. I feel like this kind of segues into Leah in a sense, because um, you have South African heritage, and that kind of... We're kind of going... We're kind of describing like how South, South Africa is right now with the poor right. and the um, you know Afrikaans. Um, so yeah, like how do you just kind of seeing like your experience with South Africa? If you want to like elaborate, how do you feel about what just Bam just said and everything? Um, well, I've only been there once, unfortunately, when I was like two or three, but I know a bit about it. Um, I mean, I agree with Bam, and like I said. Like in the door example that he actually made was really, really, I like that. Cause yeah, there is a door and a lot of us are trying to open it, but then you have some people, they got some heavy weight on them on the other side. And they like, when you're in a political position, you have many more resources. You have much more that you know that we don't. So we don't see those things that you know, that, you know, those little, oh, I can do this. And I don't even got to lift a finger to like, prevent whatever that these people want from happening so they're sitting there on these things on the other side of the door and that's how I feel like 
we always talk about change and this, that, and third. And I feel like people are getting tired of the talking. And I think that's why we have conversations of, oh, well, are you even doing anything? Because, you know, like, even during the protests, people were like, are you even donating? Are you even going to, the like, marches? Like, are you just tweeting? And there's nothing wrong with tweeting. There's nothing wrong with posting. But people are just so used to the talking because we don't see a lot of action because <laughs> we talk so much, you know? And it's like, dang, like, can we see something happen for once? Um, but the people who are working on stuff, it's just, it's taken a long time. But as far as South Africa goes, I personally can't really dive into like the progression, but I will say that they have progressed because I know apartheid was like really bad. And that's when my dad left. And yeah, they got a lot of white people there. So, and they're comfortable there. It is weird seeing was, like, huh? I was gonna say this, you know, it was crazy. We, we talked about this about two weeks ago or last week. <laughs> we thought mm -hmm. it was crazy. You and I lived on the, on the actual app group we have in the uh, News for the Culture group. Mm -hmm. And we said, it was, I think it was Zimbabwe, you know? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where they gave reparations to the white people of the country or something like that, or they were considering doing it. it here we are mm -hmm. in America. We have a certain subgroup within a uh, the black demographic fighting for reparation. And Robert Johnson, the richest black man in America, who just came, recently came out said he was in favor of reparation. But here we are, you know, talking about on a whole other continent, in a, in a country in that continent, and they're thinking about giving reparations. So it's like, sometimes we underestimate, in my opinion, the influence or the influence that white people have on black people and sometimes the the way for some black people success and the idea that you made it is tied closely to the proximity of whiteness or not rocking the boat with white people because you know if you rock the boat with white people, oh my God, my, your money about to get cut off. You know what I'm saying? You about to be broke. We see what happened to Nick Cannon. So, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, it's, it's a situation like that. Like, I'm so surprised that, I think it was yesterday, the day before, Nick Cannon said, nah, you know what? I'm suing Viacom. Oh, this is a Nick Cannon. See, he, he did a 180. Now he's doing a full 360. It's like, first Nick say, one thing on his podcast with Professor Griff, then, you know, a couple of days later, he apologizes. And, and, and now you back at square one talking about, you know, you're talking tough with Viacom. So I'm like, we've done a complete 360 now. You know, so those are my thoughts. So I just... I was going to say, because um, you was talking about reparation, you know, how, this is kind of like, a, me and my professor talked about it years ago. Um, this is kind of like a funny thought. Or not even funny thought, but kind of like a radical thought, or ex I don't even say extreme. Um, but I believe, like, he brought up the idea to me, and then after hearing it, I was just like, you're right. If you take out slavery, because a lot of white people like to say, you know, white people were slave also in America. Mm -hmm. If you take out slavery, black people still have an argument for reparations. And that's it's something we black people still have a conversation because there's a lot of wealth that they did not have access to and there's a lot of labor that was exploited from black mm -hmm. folks 
So it's like, I was thinking y'all, y'all thoughts on that. It's like, even when you take out slavery, you believe black folks still have a case for reparations. I'll let you go first. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> if you take my, out slavery, my fault, my fault. Um, so I guess I'll restart. Um, oh, yeah, I was talking, yeah, I was pretty much saying, like, do you believe that if you, even if you take out slavery, knowing that everything that Black people go through, like from sharecropping to being let out from the housing market, from segregation, the, and when I say segregation, not being allocated resources when coming out to water, food, education, you know, things that ensures mobility or social mobility or, you know, economic mobility. And this might be kind of biased because I'm kind of like, you know, Word in a question in a biased way. Um, do you believe Black people have a case for reparations? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Because like you said, we've been exploited and we've been deprived of stuff, like of things on purpose, and it's trickled down. We're still feeling the effects of that. And for some reason, because we're in a more modern time, people think, oh, like, y'all are on the same level as us. There's nothing like, no, we're not. No, because some of our parents lived through segregation, are definitely our grandparents, um, and they that was worse than now, and we are being raised by these people. So what they don't have, we don't have, and that includes financial or mental. Whenever they can't teach us something, we either have to be lucky to learn it or get it from someone, or we just don't know it at all. Um, so that affects a lot of things. So I, I agree with what you said. How about you, Bam? So, my bad, bro. You know, multitasking over here. What's, give me this, the question one more time, brother. Do you believe... I'm going to cut down. I'm going to cut it short. Do you believe if you take out slavery, understanding everything that Black people went through in history... Oh, can they still make a case for it? Do you feel like Black people still have a case for reparations? Yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. And I said, like, Jim Crow, like, you take away slavery, Jim Crow redlining. When you talk about deliberately, you know, um, racial discrimination when it came to the employment, the whole process of passing the 1964 Civil Rights Act, um, that which came after the, the original Civil Rights Act, it came in the 1800s, the late 1800s. So, so like, so when, if we don't take, we don't, could include Emancipation Proclamation. We don't include the very first, the very first uh, civil rights bill in the late 1800s. You know, we still talk about Jim Crow. We still talk about red line. We still talk about uh, discrimination policy. You know, that happened to Black people from that systematic racism. You know, in all different facets, um, where they had like um, contract deeds where in this is redlining, but where they well, white homeowners would not would have made a pack. All the homeowners got together, made a pack, and said, "We're not going to sell none of our property to black people." So, you take that into consideration. You there's absolutely a case. Maybe the years are shortened for the grievance to be filed, but even to present day, we have people, lawmakers, elected in various states, trying to pass what is known as the Crown Act. You know, that has passed um, in the state of California. In the state of Virginia, and the city of New York, and the uh, District of Columbia. So it's like one of those situations where, like, we still face discrimination on a day-to-day -day basis. So, 
reparation will help out a lot. Now, now, how is should we get reparations in the form of a, a monthly checks like the Native Americans, or should you know, or should reparation be given to us in a form of like free education, free housing? Again, I think it really goes back to a point I made earlier, like when whenever we have a Congress that fully represents us, we got to remember America is technically, in all legal sense, the child of Great Britain, of of Britain, right? And mm-hmm. so that's why we that also we have a very um, sometimes our media is focuses on that. So, what if one day, like in our lifetime, Congress is not majority is majority white, and you know. And the representatives of Congress, who they say, you know what, we're going to invest more in Africa. We're not going to be, we're not going to uphold our, we're not going to say we're going to devalue our relationship, but we're not going to put it, our relationship with Canada and England so high on the pedestal. We're going to start focusing our attention on bigging up different countries in Africa. You know, you know how much of a, I guess, a paradigm shift that would be for us? And so, and then like, if we have a Congress that's like that, I, I believe they, I assume they should be more receptive to rep- reparations. Again, I think that's going to be another white lash. Like, you know, giving money to black people, because, and I'll and I end it like this, right? Most people don't know this, and we talked about this in, in various groups, that like, after the Holocaust, a lot of white Jewish people were receiving, um, payments for um the holocaust and you talking about all right if you if your relative and the payments continue if you are part of that lineage that jewish lineage and you come you're a direct descendant of that person that experienced the holocaust so you imagine how much of a leg up that did for those persecuted people jewish people like you talking about till this day some people are still receiving payments or they have benefited from the fruits of those payments labor you know, let's like, bruh, if black people had that, specifically black people in America, I thought I was going to be saying, I'll say this one last thing. Um, I think my dog Belly had put on the uh, the chat that who's really black. So, and it also that goes into this, the whole situation, like, so who's going to get it? Because all three of us on this particular podcast are not, you know, well, Leah, you are, you know, your mom is from, you, I think you said, uh, I think you said Tennessee. and. Mm-hmm. And so basically, you know, so you technically have, um, you know, you can trace your lineage to American descendants of slavery. You know, I, my parents didn't come. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents um, don't, I can't trace my lineage here. So it's like one of those things like, and that's a dwindling demographic in in, in of itself. So I was like, damn, do we give just, we talk about reparations, right? It gets a little bit more complex. So, like, so who's going to get it? You know, right. who's going to get it? Because that's the that's the sticking point. Because we got to start talking about that now. Because we get we took ten years from now, ten years like yo, oh no, well, we on record we're going to find fifty thousand people, you know, who deserve it. Like fifty thousand people when black, black people, people across the world deserve reparations. We are exploded by the Western Empire. That's my, mm-hmm. but don't, that's that's why I don't believe reparation is gonna happen because we're all exploited and to pay every black person in this world will be impossible for what we're owed. We might as well be living. We might. They might as well just pay us to just or 
make us exempt from paying everything because we black. At that right. point, oh, grant man. us a black privilege card. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get it revoked now. <laughs> I'm good. We got to like wrap up, so we just want to say mm-hmm. thank you for you know coming with us. We're just trying to see if you have any last minute thoughts, any you know shameless plugs that you want to put in out there in the world for you know people to hear. Well, you can follow my Instagram, Leah Muji, L-E-A, M is in Mary, O-J-I. Um, and that's really, I really enjoyed this podcast. This is my first one, and I've been drinking my tequila and my Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation a lot.